0: You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi
1: there. Welcome back to this episode of the Disruptors Behind Innovation. My name is Raj Lala. I'm the CEO of Evolve ETFs. Very pleased to have a very special guest with us today, uh, Chris Overholt. So Chris, maybe we'll kick this right off. You have a, I was, I was, I've been reading about your bio. It's a pretty interesting background. Maybe you can provide everyone a, a little bit of information on how you got to where you are today.
0: <laughs> well, uh, the jury's still out on where I am, I suppose. But um, yeah, I've been, look like anybody else who has a fortunate career. I've had lots of help along the way and lots of um, great support, uh, you know, uh, I would say, my friends and and uh, colleagues and staff that I've worked with uh, along the way as well. It's um, it's often the case that, uh, you know, you, you find yourself in these circumstances based on great relationships, and that's certainly true for me. Uh, I started my career in 96 with the Raptors, uh, again, born out of a great relationship that I enjoyed with the Bitto family uh, for many years and uh, going back to college and um, and then graduated uh, out of Maple Leaf Sports over about seven years to go down to Florida and, and uh, had a chance to work um, down there with Alan Cohen and the group of the Florida Panthers uh, before I moved over to the Dolphins for a period of time, working with Joe Bailey and Wayne Huizinga and, and a great group of leaders there. Uh, and then, you know, again, was uh, was afforded a chance to come home and, and again, to, to work alongside some great folks uh, at the Olympic Committee for a long time. So... Um, yeah, like like any journey, it has lots of pieces, but uh, with incredible support, I can't even tell you.
1: So, how did you get involved in the esports industry?
0: Yeah, you know, it's it's a circuitous route, I suppose, but uh, it started, frankly, with an approach that I had uh, in 2016, right after the Rio Olympic Games. Uh, a good friend of mine reached out to me to. Uh, who's in the search business, and, and he was letting me know that they were doing some work with Activision Blizzard, and, um, and was wondering whether I'd be interested in meeting with them. Candidly, I didn't know who Activision Blizzard was. I didn't know what they did for a living, and as he explained it to me, it sounded compelling. So anyway, I agreed to go and meet with them, and almost as fast as I did, I was totally enamored of what they were talking to me about. They, at the time, they were they were thinking about the Overwatch uh, League. They had built the game already. It was a massive success. And they were starting to do the work to get ready to launch a league around that game title. And, and so I was positioned as someone who might be able to, to help with that project. And And so we spent four or five months actually talking about that potential. And again, the more time I spent with them, the more excited I got to be about the whole opportunity. And then it never came to be. And, uh, and things came and went and, uh, I, I went back to focusing appropriately on my day job and get, getting ready for Korea. And, and, uh, and then out of the blue Sheldon Pollock, our chairman, uh, called me, Sheldon and I had known each other, uh, for a period of time when I was in the hardware sales business, I worked for digital equipment back in the nineties and Sheldon and his partner, Philip uh, owned a, a, a channel partner. They were a channel partner of ours in computer reselling space. Anyway, Sheldon called me and he said, we're thinking about bidding for an Overwatch team. He didn't know anything about the conversation I had had with Activision Blizzard. Yeah. But uh, we think it's going to look a lot like sports and you're the only guy I know in sports, so do you want to come and talk to us about it? So it didn't seem like the kind of thing I should miss twice. (laughs) Um, So can we go back to first principles? Can you explain
1: uh, to our listeners and viewers what the key differences are between esports and e-gaming? I get, as as you may know, we ha- we launched uh, the first e-gaming ETF in Canada about uh, two years ago now, yeah. and uh, it's a question that I get quite often, and I got a feeling you have a better answer to it than I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> um,
0: so the, maybe you know, for for reasons um, obvious, maybe the parallel we should draw would be hockey, right? So, like many Canadian uh, kids, young men and women, I grew up playing um, hockey, um, you know at some level competitively, but you know, I grew up loving the game and playing it actively and and it was my chosen sport, along with um, some other sports in the summer, but something that I loved and had a passion for, and I would you know I was on the ice at at some moments I was on the ice four and five times a week and uh, And so that was my chosen sport, that was my chosen passion. But i never played at the nhl level in fact i barely got past midget but um but again it remained a passion and an interest of mine and and so you know i continue to watch and consume hockey and uh, arguably the same uh, same level that i did when i was a young young boy um the way i would think about gaming and esports is just in the same fashion that Gaming is a passion that, you know, is present in, a, in the demographic that is Millennials and Gen Zs uh, primarily. But, you know, as we get deeper into this, we discover closeted uh, 40-somethings that also love gaming as well. But gaming is, for many, a passion. In some cases, we have actually researched that suggests that for Millennials, it's their chosen sport. And that's the way they think about it as well. But, you know, with little exception, very few of those that might love gaming or partake in it as often as four or five times a week would never rise to the level of playing in the esport leagues like we represent uh, in the various uh, leagues that we're invested in. So where there are uh, many hundreds of thousands, if not millions in this country that love hockey, very few will rise to play in the NHL, mm-hmm. there are Millions and millions of people all over the world that love gaming, but very few will rise to be among the best in uh, in their chosen titles such that they play in the Call of Duty League or the Overwatch League. So that's the way to think about eSport, in my estimation, is that they're the highest expression of those game titles played competitively. And, you know, if you're a Call of Duty player playing in that league today, you're among the best hundred players in the world, arguably. You play professionally, you earn a living doing what you love uh, in the same way that we watch hockey players do the same thing. So
1: uh, let's stay on this because it's a, it's a, for a lot of people that are not too familiar with esports, e-gaming, they typically stereotype uh, kids that play a lot of time and use a lot of time uh, video gaming. And they're that, you know, teenager with a bag of Doritos in their basement um, spending like eight to 10 hours a day can you can you kind of explain what like a daily regiment would look like for a professional uh in the esports industry
0: sure it's it's evolving and i would say it's not uniform it it depends in some large part i would say you know on the player and it also depends on the organization and the type of emphasis they put on on various elements of preparation but You know, I would say it has all the component pieces of being a professional athlete, or at least it has the potential to, and it is an area of focus for us. So I'm quite passionate about that, frankly. But, you know, our players are training typically somewhere between six and 10 hours a day, most weeks, typically no less than six days a week, you know, with a day off. Um, Training can be different things. It can be VOD review. It can be uh, scrimming. It can be um, it can be you know team meetings and strategy sessions. It can also be for some who choose it uh, to be uh, physical training sessions, time in the gym, uh, massage, uh, all of those elements that go into being a professional athlete. Um, you know, in our organization, again, it's something that's evolving. But as one example, we most people wouldn't understand, but we have full time coaches, full time analysts. Um, We have uh, team psychologists, we have physical trainers, uh, we have team operations leads in both North America and Europe and staff around those folks. And so it is a professional operation and and we, again, in our organization, we put large emphasis on that. We're getting progressively better at those things and I expect that we will will be one of those, I, I expect that leads in that way. But you know, put yourself in the in a young man or woman's shoes who aspires to be a pro. Um, you know, for all the good reasons that we all now know and understand, you have to learn how to sleep. You have to hydrate properly. You need to eat well. You need to be thinking about your physical and mental wellness. If you're not doing those things, there's no possible way you can be good at a physical expression of a cognitive ability, right? So you yeah. need to be thinking about those things constantly. Then, under normal circumstances. Our teams travel typically to play in North America. Our Overwatch team, Defiant, and uh, Call of Duty team, Ultra, they travel to play in other city destinations. Um, you know, so mix in time zone management and all those things that, again, athletes need to manage. You just simply need to be good at managing your physical and, and mental self. And you can't do those things unless you're thinking about, again, sleep, hydration, wellness. So um, you should want to do it to be the best pro player you can be but you should want to do it as well for reasons related to your financial well-being because this is a growing industry that has progressively more and more money attached to it and invested in it. The marketing deals, the investor money is all, is all starting to consolidate around the esports space. And you know, we know because of the nature of the sport, again, physical expression of a cognitive ability, we're all relatively on the demise of that ability by the time we're mid-20s, right? Yeah. So if you're an athlete in this space, you should be thinking about how you extend your career because there's a chance if you if you play past 25, you might have three years where you make more money in the last three years than you made in the first seven. Right. Right. So for all of those reasons, um, we think of it as an important strategy for us because we want professionals who play with us. We want to pervert, We want to be able to promote to them that Overactive Media can have a hand in. In extending their career and, and helping them be successful in their chosen field, and we think if we can do those things consistently and really well, we can build perennial contenders, and we'll always want to be one of those organizations that players want to play with and for. So, uh,
1: let's talk about you. You touched on it for a sec, but I, I want to highlight a little bit more. Can we talk a little bit about prize pools uh, and how they've how they've grown over the last five years? I mean, I think I saw a stat last year or the year before that the dota 2 tournament i believe the prize pool purse was like bigger than what it was for the us open seen those types of stats before like what's how have they grown and what's feeding them
0: yes so um we need to break the industry up a little bit in that context and you were asking earlier the difference between gaming and eSport. i would equally want to draw a difference and it's a core difference for us in our business thesis it's the difference between being invested and owning a franchise in what we believe are the biggest and most important esport leagues in the world, mm-hmm. and playing in tournaments for prize money—those are two different things, and two different business theses as well. Got it. So, let me explain what I mean. If um, if you play in the tournaments like you're pointing to, those prize pools need to inherently be bigger to attract um, to attract player base. And because there's such a volume of players attract attached to those tournaments, you need to throw a big money to attract again, that volume of players. But if you're a team or a player in those tournaments, you're playing for that prize money and nobody wins every weekend. And so there's no real sustainable business model there. If you win, you get paid. If you don't, you do not earn a living. And the only bet that you're making in that business model is that you're going to be able to drag some sponsors along for the ride. But again, it's a difficult position to think about as a sponsor because you don't know whether your player is going to be winning or not, right? As opposed to being invested in these franchise leagues where uh, as an owner, you get to enjoy your share of the league's success. So just like the NFL or the NBA, you get you, you invest upfront to acquire the license to own the franchise. But then you get to share in the media rights deals that get done, the marketing partnership and licensing deals that get done. Pro rata, as a franchise holder in those leagues, you get to enjoy that enterprise growth. You get to enjoy that rev share. As a player, you trade off a little bit for the certainty of an organization like ours paying you a salary and providing training facilities and, you know. Got it doctors and and support, um, you know, an, an inter- integrated support team and IST around you to help you grow and improve as a team and as a player. So you trade off a little bit of prize money, but you get paid a salary, and then uh, you, get, you get to play again in those leagues and, and grow. So, um, so they're different. They're subtly different. The prize money is typically more, in our estimation, is more about the publisher growing its position around the game title. Mm-hmm. And in the franchise leagues, what's there for the owners is a sustainable business model and for our investors attachment to something that they can predictably see and apply business acumen to and diligence to where they can get return. And so our point of difference as a company is we only invest in those franchise positions. Our whole business thesis is that these leagues will come to look like the NBA, the NFL, the NHL and that we will enjoy as a business, the discounted cash flow that springs from those and also the scarcity of owning a, a franchise team and a coveted league. And those things as we've seen, uh, you know, really matter to investors into the long-term business act or re- results.
1: That's great. That's that's very helpful uh, to distinguish between uh, between the two. Um, the traditional e-gaming companies like EA, you mentioned Activision Blizzard, like the Take-Two's, of the world what are they doing as it relates to esports right now are they all kind of following similar paths or are they are some involved some are not
0: yeah um again we tend especially in a nascent industry we tend to fall in this habit of, of labeling everything the same in generalities and it's just not true so as an example um you know and in terms that probably uh laypersons would understand Epic is uh, is the publisher of a game called Fortnite, which if you have children or nieces or nephews or any attachment to adolescence, then you know most of you, most of your listeners have probably um, probably heard of Fortnite. Fortnite is a, a great game and uh, enjoys wild popularity, and Epic has had nothing but immense success with that game. But the business model for Epic around Fortnite is broad player based And the business model for the publisher, Epic, is to secure in-game transactions and to basically extract value out of the player base into the game as a currency. Yeah. Epic does not really, in a strict sense, have a strategy, a declared strategy for eSports. They have a strategy for competitive player base. Um and as you know, as we were just talking about, they host tournaments and regional and global tournaments, they draw a great profile, but it's really not organized esport in the way that at least we think about it. But does so, one sorry, before you move off of Epic, does one of the sister companies underneath the
1: 10 cent umbrella do something in esports that kind of meshes at all with Epic or no? It's just a complete
0: know, Again, their business model is broad global player base and extract value out of that player base through the game currency. Okay. As opposed to Activision Blizzard, which have a a declared strategic pillar inside of Activision Blizzard that says, we have a strategy that is eSport. It's expressed currently through Call of Duty and Overwatch and those two leagues that we've set up. Uh, Riot Games again has a strategic pillar that is esports, and that's expressed through its um, its global leagues, League of Legends, and we have a team in League of Legends as well. And uh, and and then uh, that's pretty much it as we see it. Valve Valve has an esports strategy that has only taken shape around Counter Strike, slightly differently because we and a collection of other team-based organizations built a franchise league around that.
1: Right.
0: So if you're not in these eSport leagues, then typically, again, you're you're in the tournament business and you often, um, as a publisher, you offload that onto tournament organizers. The tournament, tournament organizers take the value out of the ecosystem, they take all the money out of it, and they leave a little bit of prize money there for the players and the publishers basically leave the growth of the game in that way. And so all this to say, really, we think of Activision, Blizzard, and Riot as being the leaders in the eSports space. They have strategic definition around what they're doing. The other thing I'll tell you is it's really expensive for the publishers to do this at a high level, like really expensive, really difficult to attract the quality of people that you need to do it, the capital that's required. Think about just everything that goes into running a professional league, the rules, the governance. Like, It just goes on and on, right? Um, Activision Blizzard has um, uh, the former commercial head of Major League Baseball running its esport division, an 11-year executive in Johanna Ferries of the NFL, and Brandon Snow, uh, the commercial director of NBA China. Those are the three people that run that group at Activision Blizzard. Uh, that is arguably the most sophisticated group you could imagine. Um, and again, all because eSports is strategic. So it's not a light lift, and for that reason, we don't believe there will be 12 of these like we believe like we have watched traditional sports take shape over years there will be four maybe five on offer from the biggest publishers in the world uh and always in a franchise context and that that serves to create again a scarcity and also uh an element of difficulty for owners groups like ours to get in because it's expensive and you know you know you don't just acquire it you've got to own it and operate it and Again, not a light lift. So we feel pretty excited about the fact that we own four of these, and that's an opportunity for us to, again, participate in an incredible industry that's growing at an incredible pace.
1: So let's talk a little bit about viewership. Um, This was kind of one of our aha moments of why we decided to put this ETF together was we were astonished, just like many people of my vintage we'll call it uh that uh that we're blown away by the fact that stadiums all over the world were getting filled with people watching other people compete in an esport or play uh or compete in an, in an e-game how has uh covid changed all of that from your perspective
0: um well i suppose it depends on your perspective um We've seen uh, statistically and as reported by you know industry pundits, uh, we've seen an incredible growth in the gaming player base globally. We've seen an incredible uh, leap in viewership and a corresponding resulting growth in revenue stream and so on over the last 15 months. So all those things are great. All those things, um, I would argue, whatever trajectory this industry was on, um, has been accelerated by maybe two or three years as a result of the unfortunate circumstance of COVID. So that's the way I would think of it. Our business was, uh, for all those reasons, helped, right? You know, we're benefactors of all of those, um, those uh, offshoots. And, uh, you know, we were planning to host live events in Toronto last year. And so like every other live event in the world, you know, that was interrupted. And that interrupted, you know, revenue streams and and all the other things that we were planning to do around those live events, partnerships, and so on. We've we've sold through that and and pivoted our business, our league pivoted to be online, and again, it's a native digital environment, so it wasn't that difficult to adapt the league expression. Um, but I would say, you know, we lost uh, the potential of at least three or four million in revenue that we expected would come as a result of ticket sales and partnership revenue and so on. Despite all of that, we had a you know a really solid year on the revenue side. Our partners stuck with us and came back, um, you know, came back to discussions in the last half of the year, and the business grew quite considerably last year. Um, but it you know it was our it was our absence of our ability to work and talk to our local fan base to you know to to again get higher levels of engagement out of that fan base in the short term that we're looking forward to getting back to. But there's no doubt that. Um, again, the unfortunate circumstance that the world has been in has been, at some level at least, accretive to the industry. Yeah, in general, the amount of engagement last year. I think the stat that I saw was 35%
1: increase in 2020 and the amount of time being spent e-gaming in general, so of course, I mean, uh, it's 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 natural. Do you, as the world reopens, what, what are your plans?
0: Well, we have aggressive plans. Um, and, and again, in some ways, it's really interesting. Our theory has been that the industry would consolidate around a relative view at the highest level. And so, again, like we've watched traditional sport consolidate around strong ownership groups in those four leagues. We're starting to see that as well, except the consolidation is even around a smaller group of companies, because in some cases we own, you know, those of us that are leading in that way own multiple franchises in those leagues. Right. So. That's certainly happening, and um, and so it's the case that overactive media alongside Cloud9 and TSM and NRG and and um, Dignitas and over in Europe, Fanatic and G2, the industry is starting to consolidate and congeal around those leadership groups, and so we feel very, um, very honored to be in that group. Um, we certainly have a plan to get back to live events as fast as we can, and uh, And the first opportunity it seems for us to do that will be 2022 so just this morning we we've started to work on that plan and and have been starting to figure out what our venue strategy will be in the short term and then in the longer term uh near and longer term i would say two things um you know we're certainly starting to think about our growth strategies and organization what opportunities will exist for us again to participate in different segments again We like to think of our business as being modeled after Madison Square Garden or Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So what are the platforms that those organizations are involved with and, and, you know, what are the corresponding platform opportunities for us? So we're starting to explore those things. And then finally, in the slightly longer term, you know, we've been working on putting together a 7,200 seat performance venue here in Toronto um which is less frankly about our esport business it's more about our desire to be in the sports and entertainment space and just like you know in those early days when I was at Maple Leaf Sports we took that leap to build the Air Canada Center before the Leafs joined us the Raptors were doing that business on their own and so we're taking that very same leap here we're going to put a shovel in the ground we expect early next year and we'll build you know what will be i think a world leading entertainment performance venue for the top flight acts that seek to come to Toronto. We think we can do 180 to 200 nights a year in there, and it'll be the convenient home for our great two franchises here in Toronto that uh, play in the big uh, eSport leagues that they do. So we're pretty excited about our future as we all get back to whatever normal looks like in our future. Yeah, uh, before we close off, um, just, just expanding on that last
1: point that you made, first of all, where are you planning to build?
0: Uh, Right now, our site selection is Exhibition Place. Um, If you know uh, where Hotel X is, and then immediately west of that is the Stanley Barracks. There's a three-acre tranche of land immediately west of that, and uh, it's our plan to build there.
1: It'd be great to take over Ontario Place and do something with all that land, wouldn't it?
0: (laughs) Uh, We've had uh, interesting over from the province and in uh, good discussions with our city partners about all of the potential down. Toronto
1: needs to do something with that real estate at some point, um, that happened for sure. Uh, talent pool. What's the talent pool like, uh, here in Toronto? Uh,
0: growing and maturing. Um, but it's a global industry, right? And it's a native digital industry so that really means two things the best players literally in the world are available to every organization that's invested in these top leagues and because it's native digital it's not difficult to pick up the statistics of performance you know because they're all on a server somewhere (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um you know we've had a couple of circumstances where we have literally watched players progress through the community um, and uh, we had one Overwatch player two seasons ago. Now where literally—he just plowed through the whole community, and all of a sudden we had him on our team. He was a bit of a flashpoint. He didn't—he didn't sustain it, but he had a great year in 2019, and and we were party to, you know, party to his path to pro. Um, we do and are working today, and I, I would say Adam Adamu, our leader in our in our performance space, and Beth and Till, uh, Beth um, uh, Bethan Jenkins and Till Wiederman in Europe. Um, that group is working every day on talent ID strategies. I think we've done a pretty good job, better than most, frankly, identifying new talent. For example, our Call of Duty team that right now is uh, fourth in the league and fighting at the heels of the Dallas Empire, just five points behind as of, um, as of the weekend. Um, that team did not exist at the pro level. Those players that are on that starting roster right now did not exist at the pro level. 15 months ago. Nobody knew who they were. Uh, our League of Legends team right now, again, that Adam worked hard on with Till and others to put together. We've got a couple of rookies, um, one who came out of the Turkish League, another who came out of Spain playing in the Spanish League. Um, like these guys were nowhere on the scene like 15 months ago. So we're, we're working at that every day, like any professional organization would. Um, you know, sometimes you got to be lucky to be good. And you take and they work out and other times they don't but that's true of every, every professional league but we certainly have a posture around talent identification that we think will serve us well as a business
1: it's great
0: well listen congratulations on all your success it's a really interesting
1: business and a great pivot for you i think from a career perspective because there's so many parallels between what you've done in the past and what you're doing uh, now maybe you can share with everybody how they can learn more about uh yeah, overactive
0: yeah thank you and thanks for those kind words uh, i do think of it that way you know i'm a believer in life that you have to have all the experiences that you've had to be where you are where your feet have you in that moment and i think that's definitely true another way of saying we're just getting older yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> right i never here. hear my i never hear my 13 year old daughter say
0: that <laughs> yeah yeah true enough no, they haven't they haven't reached that moment of that's which, right that's right, right. Uh, yeah, I mean, listen, we're um as you, I think you're probably aware, we uh, we've been working away here at uh, at listing the company on the venture exchange. so um, we're near to being ready to do that. We've been working on our filing since January. We're very near to completion, and we would expect to be listed in trading as soon as q two. so um, we're we're imminently available to the broader public to uh, take a position in. I like to joke with our folks that, um, you know, if you're a fan of Toronto Ultra or Overwatch, you can actually be a team owner in our uh, in our business model. You can actually own a piece of the team that you love so much. So, uh, we do uh, we do expect to be ready to go with all of that in the weeks ahead, and we're excited about um, of all of that. So, all of that information will be available as part of a public filing, and a very deep analysis on how we think about the business and its growth potential is available.
1: That's great. Well, congrats again. Look
0: forward to seeing
1: the public company. Look forward to visiting the new stadium. Uh, It sounds like you have a lot of interesting things happening.
0: Great. We'll look forward to
1: welcoming you. Thanks, Chris. All the best.
0: You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at evolveetfs.com.